Where, where, where are we, guys? I don't know. It doesn't look very familiar. We were in the cornfield, and now we're. I remember climbing a ladder. It was mounted on a chicken leg. And now there's this cauldron. There's a fire underneath it. I don't know, guys. What was that? I thought we got rid of her. We didn't. She's back. Oh, my God. What is that she's showing me? Oh, the horror. everybody it's another cromtober i'm luke i'm jonathan and i'm josh and you're listening to the cromcast we are uh facing a, a battle maybe of the wits against the witch it's kind of a tongue tongue twister right a little bit she's putting <laughs> us through the ringer this time <laughs> uh but as far as a topic for for this october of 2019 we're thinking it would be uh, not necessarily fun, but interesting to, to talk about <laughs> our fears. It would be an interesting topic to cover. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a universal thing, right? Like, everybody's afraid of something. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's a good next step for the evolution of our battle with the witch. Everyone is afraid of something. And I think our fears form a lot of what we sort of think about the world, how we perceive things, uh, maybe even how we develop as people to, to go a little bit deep with this um, in, in ways that are different than other uh, types of emotions. Yeah, yeah. So, so our, our goal here is maybe to dig into each of our individual fears here and name things that that maybe spooked us out when we were kids, maybe still spook us out. I don't know. I, I think we all came up with, with ideas for, for topics over over Cromtober that would hit on kind of when we were little versus when we're, when we're now. Uh, and so we'll get into that. But, of course, we have a whole handful of things that we need to do on the front end. I will say, if you're, if you're listening to this and you notice a difference in the, the audio quality... It's because we're we're out of doors. We've got uh, insects that are that are singing away. We've got a campfire that's going. It's crackle crackle. Maybe you heard some crackles there. Maybe you heard somebody's heat pump uh, HVAC unit <laughs> kick on because we're in suburbia here in Kentucky. That's what we are getting into as far as our setting. Hopefully we've we've made it spooky. Uh, at this point, what are we drinking, guys? I am doing some benchmark number eight here tonight. Yep, I've I've got some benchmark, and I also have some West Sixth Oktoberfests that we can share. Nice. So we've we've got some of that, and uh, we've got some Russell's Reserve Ten Year that we can that we can delve into as well. So we've got some some bourbon and some beers to 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 fortify our <laughs> our, our nerves to steel ourselves against these fears, right? To maybe even open us up a little bit. Maybe lower our def- lower our defenses. <laughs> there's a uh, what is it? There's there's power in just sort of letting go. Yeah, 
That's what they say. Naming right. a fear is supposed to help take away some of its power. I like yeah. it. And our, our pal Ignacio always like to say, in vino veritas, which sure. means in wine there's truth. So hopefully in amongst the, the lies that we might tell, <laughs> uh, there's going to be uh, an element of truth. I feel like it's been through. many moons since we've had wine on the Chromecast. Yeah, we, we haven't had wine that thought, frequently. We used to do some Carlo Rossi and pretend we were drinking it out of a goat's bladder. Kind That's of true. Yeah. <laughs> we might need to, to bring that back. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> Throwback <laughs> Thursdays. <laughs> back to a vintage from Atlantis. <laughs> I think that might be the last time we had wine. Was I, I think you're actually absolutely right. <laughs> uh, okay, well, so uh, let's go ahead and we can do a quick round robin. Of, of what one things are that we're bringing bringing to the table here. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pass the mic over. Sing the one thing song, Josh. <laughs> I can't. I'm, I'm up first. Yeah, you did. You're going. My one thing is a book I checked out from the library. It was written by the late Anthony Bourdain. It was a graphic novel. I didn't realize that he was into comics. But wow. then I remembered that he did like Get Euro and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Get Giro. I don't know how it's pronounced, unfortunately. But this one was a, an anthology, a series of stories about Japanese oni and other mythical ghosts and creatures. Oh, cool. That were sort of translated into chef stories. And it was it had a, a uniting theme of a rich Russian oligarch has invited these chefs to cook for his dinner party. And he then has all the chefs come in and they perform the ceremony that the samurai used to do and it's where you light a hundred candles and each person <clears throat> tells a story and then blows a candle out and looks in the mirror to make sure that the demon hasn't escaped through the mirror and gotten into them and they tell stories about the snow woman and the head ghosts of japan the ones that are just like heads that float around and bite you oh right, and, right. And, yeah and hairy you it's called Hungry Ghosts, which I think is an appropriate name. And I really dug it. And at the end, it had a little bit of a wrap-up that was covering some of the mythology. It hit a lot of the Jonathan notes. Mythology, comics, weird stuff like that. So if you're into ghost stories, you're looking for something spooky to pick up here around this time of year, I would suggest it. It was pretty good. Cool. Nice. Mine, mine was not going to be spooky, uh, but now I feel like I should make it spooky. Okay. Um but to each their of, own. Off the top of my head, I, I can't think of anything spooky. So if you need uh, something to take your mind away from all the fear that we're going to drop on you, uh, I've been playing Final Fantasy Tactics on my phone, which is an old Final Fantasy PlayStation game. It's a squad-based uh, tactical role-playing game, um, and it's a lot of fun. And I've been grinding up uh, a, a monk a black mage, a white mage, uh, and two knights, and hopefully they're going to uh, level into Thief and then go right into Ninja, and uh, they're going to be wearing armor from their time as knights, and they're going to be wielding two katanas, and I'm going to just destroy that game <laughs> from that point on. So is there any sort of story to uh, tactics? There is, and actually it is. there is a, a nice little horror element to it because... Um, the the story is set against the backdrop of what is called the Lions War, but uh, there is a subplot that eventually becomes the A plot, and that is um, there is a historical figure named Saint Ajora, who, according to the church, was a savior who fought off 
the uh, the Zodiac Braves um, fought off these monsters. Okay. And um, as you proceed through the story, you begin to realize that that's not true at all, and that Saint Ajora was one of the Zodiac Braves and uh, was a demon himself. <gasps> and so it is definitely a um, a sort of a subversion of right. Catholicism. Okay. Um, for sure. I thought you said it wasn't spooky. This it, sounds spooky. Well, it, it is. I guess it is a little spooky yeah. because uh, people turn into monsters and zombies and things. Yep. Spooky. Um, <laughs> and a demon. And there's a demon. <laughs> um, and the the final boss is this horrific looking monster called Altima, the Bloody Angel. And it is a, uh, it's a tense fight because the music that they selected for that battle is is super tense okay um so yeah there's there's a, a good bit of horror yeah, involved that in sounds Final scary. tactics i guess now that i think about it but i'm still in chapter three where things are fairly mundane and uh i've just encountered the first demon that you fight oh no so what's the demon's name uh, it is Quecklane, the impure king. Do you have to like hit it with iron that or something? That sounds like a D and D like overlord that you would fight. That's this crazy. is the most D and D video game that's that's not an official Dungeons and Dragons product okay. that I've ever played. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, no, he he's a, a a person who who has some girth to him, okay. and he casts this ability called Nightmare. And when he does it, he pulls apart the skin flaps on his belly, revealing uh-huh. a mouth. And the the mouth opens, and then uh, everyone in your party is affected with some status effect. Oh, yeah, that so you're poisoned, scary. or you're you're. Uh, there's one called death sentence. So in three turns, you just drop dead, and you can't cure yourself. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's pretty intense. Yep. So I would call that scary. I, I guess uh, Final Fantasy Tactics fits into uh, a Chromtober theme. Right on. What about you, Luke? So last night I finished up a book. Uh, by Shirley Jackson. It's called uh, We've Always Lived in the Castle. And I've, I've read uh, The Lottery, and maybe I've read another Shirley Jackson. Jackson. Shirley Jackson. J- Shirley Jackson short story or two. Uh, but I've never read The Haunting of Hill House. I've seen the various iterations of that on the big screen. Uh, and so I've always wanted to read both that story as well as we have always lived in the castle and so uh, I did uh, Lizzie got me the, the paperback of that like I don't know some time ago a few months ago six months ago something like that and it's a really short novel it's only I don't know it's less than 200 pages in the version that I have which is like the Penguins Classics uh, edition and it is a I don't want to like be hyperbolic, but it is a supremely wit- written uh, story. It's it's really so well done in terms of the narrative and the people that are within the story. Like the characterizations are just spot on, and it's good. It's not exactly horror, and it's not exactly uh, normal. It is psychological. I mean, it is horror, but it, it's it's not. Uh, it sort of straddles the line about like what might constitute supernatural, and the bot and the, the bottom line is that it doesn't go that route. But there's just an overall feeling of unsettled, and I think there's some super cool themes to get at in that book. Uh, have you guys ever read any Shirley Jackson? I've done the lottery. Yeah, I was going to say the lottery is yeah. the the only one that I've read. Yeah. So, 
this is this is good. This is, I think, the last. I don't necessarily think it's the last thing she wrote. Maybe it is. It's certainly like the last major item that was written by her, uh, and it has a really compel uh, compelling principal character named Mary Cat or Mary Catherine is the uh, the, the young focal person of the story, your narrator, your unreliable narrator, uh, but you're pulled into this level of, like, small-town intrigue and classist struggle and spooky murder mystery with, like, old money New England, and it's great. Uh, I love it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a fun book. So uh, there's lots of ways to get it. So just poke around. But I don't know. I'm on the the the, the Shirley Jackson, you know, on on that trip. Uh, and definitely, I'm going to be looking for the haunting of Hill House during this, this autumnal season. I've I've been getting into some some Ray Bradbury to get me in this the the. The mindset, but I think I'm going to seek out some Shirley Jackson to accompany that. You're going into the October country. I am, man. I, I love some Bradbury, dude. I'm I'm super psyched. Haunting of Hill House is that a Vincent Price movie? It, uh, so that's a different thing. Or is that haunted House on the Haunted House on Haunted Hill? Right. Sorry, but there is an adaptation called The Haunting, which is one of the best like horror movies ever made. And okay. there was, of course, The Haunting of Hill House that Netflix did, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah a couple and that's weeks. well received. That's 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 very different in terms of what it what it does. Uh, but I think that there's merit to all of those adaptations. So yeah. uh, so check it out. I mean, for whatever it's worth, I guess Shirley Jackson's my one thing. Uh, but specifically, it's the uh, uh, We Have Always Lived in the Castle book. Yeah, cool, cool. That's on a lot of lists. Yeah, so uh, so with that, we've we've knocked out what we've been drinking. We've knocked out our one things. We've we've done our introduction of sorts to what the topic is for for this Cromtober. Let's go ahead and take a, a quick minute to take a break, and we'll come back and we'll jump into our content. Sounds good. Here we 
put another couple logs on the fire. It's rolling along. At this point, it's light enough that I think we could actually read by the flames, which is nice. Uh, so the topic at hand is fear, and we were we were talking in the the discussions that led up to this this episode about how we would approach this and what what our what our stories would be, what our structure would be. And we kind of came to a decision that we would that we would get into things that were uh, on a on a personal level things that, that freaked us out. And in talking through fear as a topic, one of the things that came out was that, at least for me, one of my earliest scary moments was the realization that like that I was that I was ephemeral, that there was a very short time within the, the grand span of infinity that I was going to be around, that, that, I was, that I was there for a short period. And I remember having this, this realization. I don't, I don't know necessarily how old I was, but I was certainly grade school, and I think it was even on the level of like being uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Like I remember having a recurring... Not necessarily nightmare, but I was awake and just thinking about my reality versus the larger scope of things and just getting freaked out. And it's basically that idea of uh, the human experience being a very narrow window and the grand scheme of everything. And that, to this day, I think very much flavors my understanding of fear and what scares me the most. What about you guys? Is that something that 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 you can hit on? I would say so, yeah. I remember that feeling. Uh, mine is tied up in church, which is not too surprising maybe given my history on the show, but I remember them talking about how God is infinite or like how time is infinite with him. And the idea that you could die and still be around forever, either in heaven or hell, I remember that being really, really freaky to me. Like how, like think about the worst week you've ever had in life. Like five or seven terrible days in a row. But then think about that forever. Like that's hell, right? Right. And thinking about that used to make my spine crawl and think about like you're locked in an oven forever you never get a drink of water that terror i remember at a bible study feeling that and like freaking me right the heck out yeah i think i think i had similar experiences like with the the sitting in the classroom or the bible school room talking about the infinity of of the fire or like it weirded me out to even think about the infinity of just being in in heaven is unsettling in and of itself but really that that idea of like unending torment like if i was i i I recall this as a as a younger luke like if i wanted to freak myself out or if i needed you know for whatever reason that i justified at that point to like sort of scare myself right I could just think about that concept and that would that would 
sort of redirect my my perception of things. The part where you mentioned even heaven being kind of scary, I remember thinking that as well because I remember learning maybe in like fourth or fifth grade, they talked about that part where you won't know your family or your wife or anything in heaven. And I remember thinking like, what kind of infinity is that to not know any of your loved ones? Like you're just trapped in this super chill place forever <laughs> and you don't know anybody really. Uh, that I also remember thinking was really weird. And I remember thinking that heaven was scary, which I thought was a blasphemous thought as a young Catholic child. <laughs> I remember standing outside my mom's house when I was younger on uh, you know dark starry nights and we lived at way out in the country and there were no lights there were no night lights at, at mom's house really unless you turned the porch light on right um, and so you could stand out in the front yard and look up and the sky is so full of stars that it it just staggers you. It's different. It's a different sky than even here in Lexington. And looking up at these stars and and you know being a curious child reading you know astronomy books and stuff and and knowing that the light from some from some of these stars uh, is just reaching us and some of these stars are not there anymore. Right. And our limited perception of time is, uh, I, I don't know, it always kind of freaked me out a little bit. So I can certainly appreciate this as a, as a fear. Yeah, so uh, I think we all have a kinship with this, this realization that, that we are finite and, and what's out there is infinite. I was thinking about this, you know, last night, the night before we recorded these materials, and I was trying to, like, situate this fear that I was thinking about for myself, and and where it would fit within the grand scheme of things, and so I was I pulled down, like, all of the various horror anthologies that I had on my bookshelf and I was looking over them and there's a handful of authoritative uh, sources that that are, you know, complete with an introduction by an anthologist that kind of spell things out and so maybe we'll get into them here or maybe it'll carry over into another episode but I was able to pull some quotes from uh, Stephen King's Dance Macabre also uh, Lovecraft not necessarily on his uh, uh, supernatural fiction uh, section but specifically on his uh, notes on writing weird fiction, and then finally, uh, and I guess most specifically here, on uh, the Hartwell anthology, The Dark Descent. And so, I think, at least for me, thinking about these fears, it really aligns with what uh, Hartwell indicates as the, the formless, fabulous void, which is one of the major themes that that horror can be classified according to three streams the first being sort of a a moral horror and so the the first section of the anthology is the color of evil the second level of horror and it's not to say that this compounds but just sort of a different avenue of understanding things is like the psychological uncertainty of the the narrator and so 
I think that portion of the story is like the uh, the Medusa in the shield is what it's what it's termed within the anthology series, and then the final thing is the fabulous formula formless void, and so specifically like uh, people being confronted with a reality that they can't necessarily comprehend. That is what scares me, and so I have a handful of, of notes here, and I'm struggling with the fire to see them, uh, but, but Hartwell writes in the introduction, uh, these stories within the third stream, which is to say the fantastic, have at their center ambiguity as to the nature of reality. It is the fiction of radical doubt. Third stream stories, again, the fabulous, maintain the pretense of everyday reality only to annihilate it, uh, leaving us in another world entirely, one in which we are disturbingly imprisoned. And so that that really, when I was reading over this last night, encapsulates what I was most scared of, which is to say, realizing that what I took within my shell wasn't actually representative of the whole, that there was a much larger and infinite expanse beyond that shell. Like, that's really the way that I was thinking thinking about it, and I don't know, as a, as a kid in the single digits, that freaked, that freaked me out, man. Like, being a, a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, I <laughs> that was something that haunts me, and to this day, it is still a very unsettling thing to reckon with. So, like, when you talk about this fear that you felt in the single digits, like, what was it that you felt? Like, what is it that you remember thinking about this? Uh, I remember feeling dwarfed, and I remember feeling so very small that I was insignificant. And I think that's the, the mo- like, those are the moments that I recollect. Like, the feeling that all of this is is kind of for not not necessarily for nothing well i guess like the, the the fact that it would not be a mere mark on on anything that your dot is so tiny on the infinite uroboros that like it doesn't count yeah absolutely absolutely i mean it's 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 that it's also like the uh just the overall expanse of time is something that that is scary to me. Uh, the the fact that there is you know a time without beginning and a time without end on either side of me is uh, terrifying. So we both talked a little bit about this fear and like being tied to religion. Do you think that that helped form part of this fear and then like help form part of what you consume? and think and do even to this day? Uh, I think it definitely informs uh, like like that's part of the story. Like that's part of what made it so scary to me. I think the idea that that there was eternal suffering is a is a is a component of that. But outside of that religious underpinning, I'm pretty sure I would still be freaked out by the 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 infinity of, of, of time. Does that mean Jesus is like a Cthulhu character? <laughs> I, I don't know. 
I have not thought about that. Why would you say that? Uh, I mean, Jesus comes from beyond, right? He's uh-huh. like a weird melding of something that we can't understand that's been around for forever and will be around for forever. And it was merged with a human. And he came down and told us a bunch of stuff. And then he left. And everything he said has changed the course of history. If you follow Christianity. Uh-huh. And he, like, watches us all the time and can't die. And manipulates things. Like, do you see uh-huh. what I'm saying? Right. He's going to come back. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. guess. <laughs> uh... I, I mean, I'm, I'm tracking with a lot of those things. I, I don't necessarily know about the whole, like, <laughs> he became, like, part part of us. Right. I think there's a, there's a relationship between uh, Cthulhu and uh, the Old Ones and, you know, the Deep Ones. It's, it's a little bit mystical on oh, Lovecraft's okay. part. Like, I think that might be a harder... Ho to row, but I get your point of row to hoe. Something, yeah. I'm, I'm talking gardening terms here, right, yeah, dude? No, yeah, you, gotta, you gotta. Did I say that right? You said hoe to row. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hoe that row. Yeah, I got it right that time. Just did. Yeah, I'm gonna hoe that row. We're sitting next to your garden, right here. So, uh, I mean, I get the idea though that we that you're going for that it's. I was I was being a little cheeky. I know, yeah. but I mean, I think there's something to it. Yeah. 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 Jesus can be kind of scary if you think about it. So I'm interested in what you think about this these days. Like, um, and you, you may have gotten into this a little bit, but you know, this is a fear that finds its roots from when you were younger. Um, now we're sitting around a fire out here in suburbia in the in the dark with the 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 stars shining their silvery light down upon us they're winking not that one that's a planet oh got it um what do you think about this stuff now i'm gonna add a a log to the fire here yeah uh i mean i think this is very much something that's still I reckon with. I don't know if it scares me in the same way as when I was younger. I think in some instances it does. But the bottom line is it, it really gets at that uh, that point that, that this is a, an ephemeral state and uh, regardless of what's on the, the gulfs of either side of your existence that is that's a time that at least I don't know like I feel as if you can argue philosophically that like uh, at least for the here and now within the, the, the time at which you're existing it is a meaningful experience even if it's a, a, a statement that's that's purely grounded in like your experience. It's not something that's that. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. That well, I have a question along those lines, and that is, we we joked a little bit before we got on the mics about the Ozymandias poem, right? Uh, Look on my works, ye mighty in despair, and and the uh, the 
the narrator of the poem is looking at a, a long ruined statue, right? That's been ravaged by time. And the irony is that, uh, you, you can't see the works any longer, right? They, they've, they've been eroded over time. So, uh, how do you, you said you, it's still a meaningful existence. How do you find meaning in a, a world where, uh, you know, in the, the grand span of time, we're here, but for a, a wink. Uh, I don't know, man. That's pretty. If we can answer that, yeah, we'll be rich. That's pretty close to home. I don't. I don't necessarily know how to answer that outright, other than to say that uh, I justify it on the basis of my selfish experience and uh, on the basis of me recognizing that this is something that's going to go away. Yeah, uh, I'm going to enjoy it for my sake and uh, darkness be damned Ecclesiastes right like the the book of Ecclesiastes it's meaningless it's meaningless everything is meaningless but drink your meaningless drink and live your meaningless life for all the days that you have it because it's yours yeah I guess that I'm I kind of like what Josh is hitting on here with when you first brought this up, it seemed like a very adult fear to me. Like, I remember feeling this as a child as well, but to talk of insignificance as a kid, where you're like so consumed by a day-to-day existence and like five years seems like an eternity anyway. I remember feeling that like as a kid that a school year went on forever and now it feels like a blip in time where it's just eyelash away from happening uh is there a difference between what you felt as a kid and now or i can remember very clearly a time when i was young when i was a kid where i didn't know that i was gonna die and i i don't know about you guys but i i remember this very clearly like the 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 time i don't not the day necessarily but the time at which I learned that I that this was temporary, um, and I think I'm still, even in my late 30s, parsing that right, like, and not really fully appreciating that. I mean, I think that was exactly what what I uh, was tapping into at this point in time, like that that sort of realization gets at uh, a scare factor. Yeah. I remember when I was feeling through these things and thinking through these things as a kid that I was worried about not mattering or not counting. Do you know what I mean, Luke? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I thought about that at that point in time and I still think about it today. I think that's a huge component of just me personally like my personality I just uh, I mean I think I'm a person that struggles with being present on a day to day and I think that that struggle really relies on or is is a consequence of me thinking about like what's coming next Uh, and I'm 
constantly someone that needs to, at this point in 2019, at my age, to slow down and recognize things. But regardless, I think that 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 slow down, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to knock these things out, I've got to be task-driven, they are a consequence of me feeling the need to just get shit done, you know, uh, before I can. Does being a father play into that at all, to that shift in, in perception of this sort of idea? I don't think so. I mean, feel like I have this position on things before and hereafter, uh, uh, you know, fatherhood. So you don't have a big statue in the sand or anything, but we have the Chromecast. We have things that we've written before. Are those things that play into this or are like stemmed from this? You can tell me to piss off too. <laughs> I don't necessarily. I, I don't know what you're necessarily getting that, with that. I I can, I have a statement there. Like I've often, and we've had this discussion before. Uh, all three of us, the 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 way in which we are creating this podcast and putting it out there um, will hopefully last right. Uh, longer than any any of us or each of us or all of us, right? Like we're uploading these these audio files to archive.org and presumably for as long as the internet's around, archive will be around too. And as long as archive's around, then our voices, our you know, a hundred years from now, our ghost voices right. will will be out there waiting for somebody to to find us. Um, which, uh, the way I said it, is pretty creepy. But, like, in my mind, it is a testament not just to, uh, you know, I, I am Josh, and here I am scratching my name into the, the surface of the Internet, uh, as shallow as it might be. But here is a testament to my friendship with John and Luke. And for anyone who is related to me, who comes after me, uh, who might be interested in me and who I am um, it's it's here and there's six years of us talking you know for for uh, hours on ends every couple of weeks um, and so I think that stands as the the I am Ozymandias statue at least in my mind Yeah, that was kind of what I was hitting at with that is it's not etched in stone. It's not forever, but... Uh, it, it's not a... It wasn't consciously that to, to from the start, right? Like, no. it's, it's just a realization that we've had as we've been working on it. Well, I, and I don't think it's purposeful in that way. Like, I, we all agreed to do this as a lark, as a fun thing. Yeah. It wasn't to be famous. It wasn't to be on the internet forever. But there is a realization that at least I had at one point where I was like, oh man, you know, if my grandkids ever wanted to hear my voice after I'm dead, potentially archive.org will be there and they can listen to it and they can hear me full of bourbon talking about dogs and Sailor Steve Costigan if they want to, you know. Right. Um, it's a weird... Uh, 
not millennial, but like digital native kind of realization to have that this is part of a stab at posterity. But I always kind of wonder what, what that means for, for people fighting against infinity, like what the internet means for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was hitting at. Bring us home, Luke. How, how, what else do we have? We, we had talked about the HP Lovecraft nemesis poem. And I had sent that to you guys as something that stuck out in my mind as a thing that kind of encapsulates these anxieties about uh, scale and and time. And uh, I think the second verse in it kind of captures, at least in my mind, what Luke was telling us last week when we had our, our Cromtober meeting. And it says, I have whirled with the earth at the dawning when the sky was a vaporous flame. I have seen the dark universe yawning where the black planets roll without aim, where they roll in their horror unheeded without knowledge or luster or name. So Lovecraft was capturing in my mind this anxiety of uh, the, these infinities of processes and scales and time periods um, sort of passing and doing their thing without humans, right? There, there's right. no there's no influence of people in that verse whatsoever. It's just the, the laws of the universe sort of doing their thing. It's just it's lonely. Very lonely. Um, and then the last verse of it, uh, through the ghoul-guarded gateways of slumber, past the wan-mooned abysses of night, I have lived over my lives without number. I have sounded all things with my sight. I have struggled, oh, sorry, and I struggle and shriek ere the daybreak, being driven to madness with fright. Like this, the, the narrator of this poem is seeing all of this stuff, all of the vastness and can't handle it. And in my mind, like this, this fits in pretty well with this type of fear, this type of anxiety. But I, I find a lot of hope in the fact that, you know, each of us, even though we're here for a span of, of time that seems small in the, the geologic sense, we're leaving our mark in ways that are, maybe imperceptible to us, but over time will reveal themselves through ancestry or through writings or through recordings, through ghost voices on the internet. <laughs> so, uh, I guess that's, that's my final thought on this is that, uh, yes, in infinity is scary, both temporal and, and, uh, spatial, but, um, at least we have, ways to to sort of fight back against that long lasting darkness we have each other yeah and I guess kind of to wrap things up in terms of framing things for maybe future horrors or future recordings so this is from Lovecraft's notes on writing weird fiction and he states one of my strongest and most persistent wishes being to achieve momentarily violation 
of the galling limitations of time, space, and natural law which forever imprison us and frustrate our curiosity about the infinite cosmic spaces. And then later, the reason why time plays such a great part in many of my tales is that this element looms up in my mind as the most profoundly dramatic and greatly terrible thing in the universe. Conflict with time I've under, underscored that for whatever it's worth in my own notes, seems to me the most potent and fruitful theme in all of human expression. So just reckoning with the concept of your uh, ephemeral nature and reckoning with the, the consequences of time, that's drama, just like whole cloth, but on a horror scale, on a fear scale, like that's that's what we can boil a lot of this down to. So maybe we'll come back to it. I mean, there's there's other ways to talk about what horror is, and we can think about it in Hartwell's anthology on the basis of like a psychological theme or a moral theme, in addition to this fantastic or sort of uh, grandiose theme. There's a lot of ways to think about what horror is, but I think we'll be returning to this topic again in the coming recordings. Have any other thoughts, John? So, Luke, would you say that you have a pyrophobia, a fear of infinity? Uh, I don't know if I would say that now. I think as a as a child, I certainly would. Uh, but that is a a uh, a thing that is fearful to me. I don't know if that's a cop out, but yeah, I mean, infinity scares me. I think as 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 a finite being, that is a thing that sketches me out. Uh, I I am I am afraid of the vast gulfs of darkness that exist out there beyond the light of our sun. Sure. So we're talking about fears this season for Cromptober. We've gone through a lot of different iterations of Cromptober. We're very proud of Cromptober, but uh, this one's kind of personal this year. And we hope that you'll share with us some of your ideas about your fears and why something that scared you as a kid maybe continues to scare you as an adult or why it's so foundational in your soul or in your psyche or however you want to uh, frame it. But uh, this has been Luke's Terror Room, brought to you by the witch. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, right on. And so, uh, if folks want to jump on, Josh, how can they find us? You can find us on the web at thecromcast.blogspot.com. We're on Facebook, at the Chromecast. Similarly, we're on Twitter, at the Chromecast, And Instagram, at the Chromecast. Um, and really, we would love to hear from you. And the best way to get in touch with us is leave a voicemail by uh, calling 859-429-CROM and telling us whatever it is you're afraid of. And we'll be out here in the dark waiting to listen to your your voicemail and uh, waiting for the witch to terrify us again next week. Welcome to Cromtober. Cromtober.